Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm your host, the captain of this vessel if you like. I'll be steering you through the uh, choppy waters of the cricketing world. And with me on deck here is first mate Tony Kerr. <laughs> I don't like that at all. <laughs> it's a nautical so, reference to kick things off. With your yeah, more like kind of VIP passenger Tony Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> People have referred to you as a passenger for quite a long time. I'm also a VIP, so, you know, first class passenger Tony Kerr. Yeah, <laughs> here to enjoy your hospitality. Not contributing to the work at all. Um, <laughs> not putting in any effort to make sure that this voyage goes smoothly. But he's here. He is Just, definitely you know, a presence. <laughs> How's it going, Tone? How are things with you this week? Well, it's good to see you. No, it's been a good week, though. Uh, we are now slap bang in the middle of Christmas party season, are we not? Had the work due on Saturday, which is an interesting, lively encounter. I'm assuming that you had quite you know, quite a heavy night on Saturday, because uh, <laughs> I gave you a call on Sunday morning. It was about 11am, uh, and you picked up the phone. You were obviously still in bed. And I, I do not think I've ever heard a human being sound <laughs> so tired and so angry about being so tired. You're just like, ah, oh, ah, oh, OK. Uh, like, what time is it? It's, it's 10 minutes past 11. So the sun is shining. Oh. Did you have a good weekend, though? Stunning. Last week we talked about how you're increasingly becoming the sort of person that starts looking forward to the to the next weekend from like Monday. This week you took it even further because I saw you posted a Facebook status, I think, on Sunday morning just after <laughs> you got up that said something about how much you were looking forward to next Saturday. Yeah, you're wishing guilty. your life away, mate. Well, not wishing my life away. I'm just like you know alerting people to the fact of what the next kind of next event is. It's a little bit. It makes me think that the rest of your life. Must be quite depressing <laughs> it makes me feel a bit sad about the state wow. of your life because uh between saturday night and next saturday <laughs> night you're just wishing it away no i've had a great i've had a great week so far but uh but yeah there's i mean there is a degree of build-up to this saturday that uh has overshadowed much of what's gone in the last kind of three months it's a big big day you've been looking forward to it for three months yeah what something is it? Like christmas do christmas do you'll be coming won't you might poke my head in for a bit yeah yeah well, it's all very exciting. Isn't yeah, it? a lot isn't of, it? It's relentless. A lot of exciting stuff coming up in the Christmas period. There's a lot of exciting things going on in the world of cricket as well. Tonight on the show, we're going to be reflecting on England's astonishing win in Kolkata. Uh, also looking ahead to the series between Australia and Sri Lanka, which is right up in our grill piece now. And I'm sure there'll be time for a couple of side notes as well. I've got some great ones for you tonight, Tone, including one about Shane Warne. Everyone loves a bit of Warn, don't they? A bit of Warny. I did. I enjoyed Warn's performance in the Big Bash League. The Melbourne Renegades versus the Melbourne Stars, and uh, Warn was playing for the. He plays for the Stars, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. He had a bit of a shocker, didn't he? He got smacked around, did Shane Warn? What it was brilliant though, because like they have, uh, they had him mic'd up. You know, the commentators giving a bit of chat, and you know, he was giving them a bit of chat back. You know, at one stage he was like, "Yeah, you know, just got to push it through, sort of fast and full." Just got dispatched for six, <laughs> and then he was chatting about a bit later, chatting about how they needed to take a wicket, and he dropped a dolly like next ball. Oh yeah, that? That's yeah, right. that was yeah. hilarious. He dropped a shocker of a catch. <laughs> but then the commentators kind of uh, bottled it a bit because they were like, "Oh, I don't even want to talk to him about that." And it's like that's exactly what you <laughs> yeah, should talk. Yeah. That's the reason for having these earpieces, surely. Uh, but anyway, all that to come. But it, but it's all very. Christmassy here. Please tell me that you're finally getting into the Christmas spirit. So only a couple of weeks to go. Two weeks today, as we're recording this, is Christmas Day. Uh, it's huge, isn't it? I'm getting. What noise was now. that? I don't know. Uh, it's <laughs> huge. That's how excited you are. Uh, no, I'm getting building, building excitement. Is building. It's cold out, isn't it? It is cold. That's that's the beast the from the east is here. Yeah, the beast from the east has arrived. Gonna get mild. It's gonna be cold tonight. Just some really boring weather chat uh, for for the listeners. It's gonna be cold tonight, Adam, but it's gonna be mild on Thursday. Twelve okay. degrees. 
Well, it's about four at the moment. Yeah, I think it's dropping down to two. Well, we can oh, keep dear. people updated as this show goes yeah, on. I'll be live tweeting the temperature as it drops. The cold weather's kind of been getting me into the Christmas spirit. Also, um, you're starting to see, you know, more and more Christmassy stuff around. They've put up an ice rink outside my work. Have you been skating? No, I mean, I'm can not. You skate? I'm not much of a skater. Long-time listeners might be surprised to hear that. I'm sure they'd imagine me as a very graceful, very, <laughs> very elegant skater. But you know, it's just, it's just the knee trouble has prevented me. I, I, I can't really be doing with skating. I mean, it is a, yeah, it is a risk, isn't it? You know, you know that you probably don't need to be exposed to no, exactly. at this point. I, I've done it a couple of times skating, and I, I just don't enjoy it at all. Also. On that ice rink, it's really small and just packed full of teenagers, and it's not a particularly enjoyable experience. I hate teenagers. It's really annoying this ice but rink. But that is festive, isn't it? That's a that's a festive prospect to be met with every time you you turn up at work. Well, is it though? <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, you'd think it would be really nice, you know, as I walk down to work and throughout the day there's this ice rink out there so you're sort of imagining like Rockefeller Centre or something <laughs> yeah. like that it's not imagine that like Christmas at movies. all. It's just really raucous teenagers screaming and shouting, and also. They're just constantly pumping out these really tinny <laughs> pop songs. Not even Christmas songs, just pop hits. But it's like they stopped buying records around about 2003. It got to 2003 and they were like, <laughs> they no, we're going to draw a line under yeah. it there. We've got all we got need. Enough. So it's just like steps, tattoo, you know, that all the things yeah. she said. I've heard that about six times today. Elton John's Are You Ready For Love? So just imagine me there at work and you hear this. Are you ready? Are you ready for love? It's so, it's so depressing. Merry Christmas. England. This is the part of the show where we talk about England. Now, England took a massive step towards an unprecedented Test Series victory in India this week with a crushing win in Kolkata. Alistair Cook lost the toss again and India batted first. But the England bowlers did incredibly well to bowl the home side out for just 316, four wickets for Monty Panazar and three for Jimmy Anderson. England in their innings, led once again by the captain, who made 190, went 207 runs past India's total. They made 523 half centuries also for Compton, Trott and Peterson. There did seem to be a bit of a momentum shift in the game when England lost their last four wickets for 13 runs on the fourth morning. And then India were 86 for none at lunch. But there was a dramatic collapse in the afternoon session where they lost six wickets. Uh, And after that, the game was always slipping away from India. And although Ravi Ashwin made an unbeaten 91, got them into the lead, but it was only a lead of 40. And although England were reduced to eight for three at one point, Ian Bell and Nick Compton guided the chase and they got there with seven wickets to spare to give them the victory and go 2-1 up in the series. So the loss of three wickets for eight runs set a few 4am nerves jangling. Certainly I was getting a little bit nervous, perhaps more nervous than you might expect when the side you support is chasing 41. I can just picture you kind of spilling, trembling and spilling your cornflakes all over the sofa. (laughs) (laughs) Just like struggling to to shovel them into your mouth quick enough. Cornflakes going everywhere. (laughs) Uh, I'm more of a Rice Krispies man, actually, Tone. But, um, even, but possibly even worse then for, for kind of spilling. E- well, yeah, kind of harder to clear up. Uh, but, but Bell and Compton, they steadied the ship and saw England home to a comfortable victory. It's India's first defeat at Eden Gardens since 1999. And it's the first time that they've lost consecutive test matches at home since the year 2000. So the win a couple of weeks ago in Mumbai was historic it was it was quite unexpected quite unprecedented and as we said at the time it was incredibly satisfying from an english perspective you know they overturned expectations overturned the momentum that had come out of ahmedabad and outplayed india on a spinning pitch in you know what you'd consider to be india's conditions but this win no less impressive i would say while england weren't expected to do well on a on a turning track like they had in mumbai it was at least a result wicket. So, you know, you felt one of the two teams was going to win the game. But here, the pitch was very flat. England lost the toss, and yet they still dominated India and ran out very comfortable winners. Yeah, at least as impressive. I mean, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Christmas, And also, uh, you know, a wonderful winter for England. We should re-record that song with, yeah. with those lyrics. It's beginning to look a lot like an England series win. <laughs> we, you know, we're still very much in the kind of scope of my prediction, though, at the start, just to remind, give you a quick reminder. Well, what did you predict? Two all. Two all, yeah. 
So are you now rooting for an England defeat? Well, in the final it's win-win, game? isn't it now for me? <laughs> uh, which is the position I like to be in. Uh, I mean, yeah, stunning, stunning performance. Like you say, losing a toss, but still engineering an almost perfect position after the end of the first innings uh, was was a fantastic performance. Well, I think it was that that first innings really where where the game was won and lost because India's second innings collapse is what's captured most of the headlines is certainly what most of the pundits in India are focusing on and it was you know a pretty abysmal collapse but they lost the game in the first innings after winning the toss they should have batted England out of sight I think in their last three games at Eden Gardens they've made 600 in their first innings um, on each of those occasions but here they got rolled over for 316 and that was decisive now we'll talk about the Indian batsmen in a moment but the England bowlers really should receive a lot of credit I think they they did bowl extremely well um, to, to quote Monty they did put the ball in the right areas bowled very tight lines kept the scoring rate under control at all times and also bowled some wicket taking deliveries I mean Jimmy Anderson was you know reverse swinging the ball and he he looked back to his best I thought but the England bowling actually across the match wasn't it? it was it was exemplary yeah and they took they took kind of big wickets at big times getting Tendulkar when they did was was pretty crucial to keeping the Indian score at least to something that was manageable. And elsewhere, you know, the Indian batsmen didn't really contribute, so England did very well to keep on top. Well, Panazar was brilliant in the first innings. Swan was brilliant in the second innings. He clean-bowled Savag with the first ball after lunch to spark that collapse. Cook mentioned it in his post-match um, interview that that was the big moment of the game. He said, you know, world-class players step up at, and produce big moments like that. And that was a, a, a very important step on the road to victory. Swan is now the leading wicket-taker in the world this year, uh, which rather tramples on the argument of, of those who say that he's had a poor year. Um, yes, England have played a lot of test matches this year, but still, with the exception of a couple of games against South Africa, Graham Swan has had another very, very good year of test cricket. I mean, what more can you say about Alistair Cook? He was man of the match after yet another extraordinary 100. It is becoming increasingly difficult to come up with new things to say about him because he just does this so consistently. Three matches in this series, three hundreds. I'm just going to chuck some stats at you. I'd like you to. Yeah. See how you deal with these. <laughs> um, he broke the England century record in this game, overhauling the mark of 22 that Wally Hammond set in 1939. Quite a few things have happened since 1939, including, including the Second World War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and all 12 seasons of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. But in all that time, nobody has scored more than 22 test hundreds for England until now. 10 of his 23 hundreds have come since the start of the 2010 Ashes series. So that's 10 hundreds in 24 months at an average of 70. Incredibly prolific and consistently so. This isn't some isolated purple patch. He's averaging 70 over two years. His career average is now above 50. His average at home is fully six runs lower than that. He's outperforming his average away from home. He averages 61 in Asia. Other batsmen with 23 test hundreds include Verinda Savag and Justin Langer. He's only one behind Viv Richards. So he's already in this sort of company and he's still only 27 years of age. Um, he's equal 20th on the all-time list. Only 10 batsmen have scored more than 30. And you'd think he's probably going to join that club before his 30th birthday. So yeah, there you go. Take a deep oh, breath after all those <laughs> yeah. stats. But it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It's Unbelievable, really. Well, I've always been pretty fond of Alistair Cook. Yeah, I mean, he had tough times or fairly testing times, didn't he? And, and a few years ago, uh, things weren't looking as good as as the first part of his career. But like you say, the last couple of years have just been astonishing. And he is the you have to say he's arguably the perfect opening batsman in many ways, but the perfect opening batsman to to take on a tour because what he did to Australia last uh, the last Ashes series was cruel in many ways uh, and what he's doing to, to India here is yeah is just is probably a bit mean as well unshakable and yeah what the youngest uh, batsman to 7,000 test runs as well that's another yeah. stat it's another one stat attack I think the Alistair Cook forward defensive might be my favourite shot in cricket <laughs> at the moment as an England supporter it's pretty great I think if you're if you're an Indian fan at the moment it's probably a very frustrating stroke um, but it's just so solid and it must be so demoralising for the bowlers because you know just get through that well we used to play a game didn't we in your garden a very like, nuanced game of garden cricket where we we tried not to get out you know we're just bowling spin well it was because uh you know because there's windows, windows around yeah. and things so like the idea that was not to play any attacking <laughs> shots whatsoever. we were literally not allowed to play shots 
Um, so the the purpose of the game was to probably not probably didn't out. translate well onto the actual cricket field because <laughs> then we couldn't play any shots. Well, also because the pitch was probably less than half the length of an actual cricket pitch. Yeah. So our bowling suffered a little bit. It probably ruined the, our, the lengths our careers, we were bowling. weren't great when it when we then went into a proper game. Uh, but it was good fun, and yeah, we you know it was a yeah, it was a turning wicket. Wasn't it? it was a, it was a difficult pitch to bat on. Deck chairs and stuff crowded the bat. Uh, you <laughs> could get fielders, you yeah. could get out at any you know, to, to any shot. But yeah, I'm glad we weren't friends with Cook because we'd have just got really bored, wouldn't we? If bowling to him. <laughs> Thankfully, you Given were a lot easier to get out than it was. <laughs> I don't know, mate. You were you. <laughs> it was it was a well known thing amongst the rest of us that you were the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you uh, say that. But, you say that, but the ball of the century, care. Uh, <laughs> We'll never forget the ball that I bowled to London Cross one at Gordon McRae to get him out around his legs. Bowled McRae around his legs. Re- with my wrist leg spin. Uh, it was, yeah, something else. It was like worn in his in his prime at, at some points. But. I remember really clearly getting McRae out one time. So it's really funny that still remember <laughs> getting McRae out. It really sticks with you. I remember because I was I was bowling off breaks. And it, it was like the, the save I dismissal, actually. <laughs> Tossed it up outside of stump. McRae for a big drive. Spun back through the gate and hit the top of off. And I just I just set off. <laughs> yeah. I just ran off down the road. Oh, good times. Eh? Great times. Innocent times. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a podcast to think about then. <laughs> uh, didn't have the, the responsibility of a weekly podcast to get us down. But yeah, like you say, you can't really fault the lad. And he's got 548 runs now in this series. And I don't know how many hours he's battered, but it's over a day, isn't it, pretty much? It's 60, he's on, been on the pitch, something like 70% of the series, isn't it? Isn't he? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like that. And, and this is the only question mark about whether or not he does become one of the all-time leading run scorers. Because at, at this rate, he could overhaul Sachin Tendulkar. It's not impossible that he could get more than 51 test hundreds. It's hard. Well, it's almost impossible, I'd say, to imagine him doing it in a way because it's, it seems still so far away. You know, it would take him 10 years. Yeah, but I mean, uh, at this rate, he's yeah. probably not even halfway through his test career at the moment. So at this rate, if he doesn't get 40, it will be surprising. But the only question mark is if he's England captain for, say, four five years and as you say if he's been on the pitch for 70 percent of the time at some stage that might begin to take its toll on yeah him he might mentally. get a bit fed up of it it would take a kind of extraordinary appetite and extraordinary kind of desire wouldn't it to play cricket to carry on for another 10 years because look at andy strauss he he, he he ducked out he, he wimped out didn't he at the age of what how old is he uh 30 yeah 35 or 36 and yeah if you look at that that list of all-time test century makers of that top 10 who have 30 or more not many were long-serving test captains most of them were captain at some point but not for a long period it's really only ponting and war and they've both had you know arguably the greatest team of all time at their disposal so it might be slightly different in terms of how much of a a mental burden that was you know at the moment cook is responding unbelievably well to having the captaincy but the same thing happened to andrew strauss at the start of his captaincy career scored some hundreds against the west indies so that's the only question at the moment but he can't do any more than he's doing right now so yeah cook was phenomenal but this was a superb performance all around virtually everyone contributed which was another difference to mumbai where it was essentially four players that provided the bedrock of that win in kolkata it was Everybody. Um, I, I saw some people say, you know, oh, well, you know, take out Cook's runs and England would be struggling. But that's just such a nonsense point, isn't it? I mean, that's how cricket works. Yeah. Take out Ashwin's runs in the second innings and India would have lost by an innings. <laughs> Think of any test match victory ever. Take out the runs of the top scoring batsman or take out the wickets of the top wicket taker and it would have been different. But it's, yeah, it's, it's a ludicrous it's, argument, it's isn't it? It's a ridiculous point. But, you know, Compton, Trot, Peterson all added valuable runs. All four bowlers were in the wickets. And the fielding was excellent as well. And that's been a real problem for England this year. I think it's been the most worrying aspect of their decline in 2012 was how sharply their fielding dropped off. But they were holding their catches in this game. So they looked to be in pretty good shape going to Nagpur. And there were a couple of runouts as well, a couple of... A well-taken run-outs. Ian Bell with a great yeah. trade to run out Pajara. That was a big moment as well. Speaking of run-outs, I mean, it was, it was kind of a sign of how desperately the Indians must have wanted to get rid of Cook, like kind of how much they celebrated the, the run-out. I mean, it was a ludicrous run-out. Very unfortunate, in a way, for Cook to get out of the way. And they celebrated it really hard, like they'd produced, like, you know, like the bowler had produced a magic ball. Well, it was crazy, wasn't it? Bit, I mean, which was a bit, you know, a bit over the top. But that was just obviously how kind of fed up of seeing him at the other end they were well if people didn't see it 
Cook was uh, running to the non-striker's end, sort of slowed down to a jog because he was almost there and went to put his bat in. And then the throw came in. He saw the ball coming, you know, I guess thought that the ball was going to hit him, like sort of jumped out the way, but he wasn't in his crease and the ball hit the stumps and he was run out, which I don't think I've ever seen before in cricket. And what he should have done is let the ball hit him. Now, he had 190 runs at the time, so you, know, you can kind of forgive him for that. But if he'd been on three, if it had been Ian Bell on three, I think he would have, <laughs> he'd have got absolutely slaughtered. But yeah, you, you think the Indians were celebrating disproportionately Yeah, I mean, hard. to say, I mean, it, like, hard to argue that they'd got him out in a legitimate way. It was one of those instances in cricket that, was so, that, that do come along every so often. Like when, you know, batsman plays a uh, shot and it gets caught in, you know, the short legs shirt or something. It's one of those. You just feel a bit cheated. Well, you, yeah, you do. But then I, I can understand why this celebration is so Oh, I there. understand because it, was a, it, was, it had the potential to turn the match. Well, yeah, but not even because of that, but because I think if you're the beneficiary of, of something extraordinary like that, it's so surprising that that in itself makes it quite an ecstatic moment. Yeah. Like, like if the ball gets caught in the fielder's shirt, the natural reaction is to be sort of so surprised and so, you know, I, it's, such, it's yeah. such a bonus that people go mad for it. Well, I, but my, I think that the natural reaction would be kind of sheepish embarrassment, really. A few high fives, but not, nothing more. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm making too much of it. Well, speaking of India, what, what about them? They've got all sorts of issues. I mean, take nothing away from how England have played, but India look a shadow of the team that, that rose to number one in the world. Bear in mind that Two years ago, they went to South Africa and were extremely disappointed to come back with only a draw. Now, since then, they've been whitewashed in England, whitewashed in Australia. After those whitewashes, they said, you know, oh, well, we'll see you at home kind of thing. Now they're 2-1 down at home. Just read down the team sheet and you, you encounter a problem almost at every stop, don't you? Gambia and Sarah got both got starts in this match, but didn't really go on. I mean, you can't really criticise Pajara because he's got bags of runs in the series, but he didn't really, didn't really turn up, did he, this time? Tendulkar still couldn't get across the line. Uh, finished the job in that first innings. Kohli didn't get any runs. Yivraj, yeah. Uh, you know, Dhoni under pressure. Ashwin, great knock in the second innings, but not enough. And, you know, when it comes to the bowling, yeah, problems as well. So, I don't know, worried for them. Well, it's the bowling attack that they're, that the selectors are looking at. They they have responded to this defeat by dropping bowlers. Zahir Khan's been axed. Harbhajan Singh's been dropped from the squad as well. The bowling attack has been poor. As you say, Ashwin... He looks like he could bat in the top order, but his bowling has been dazzlingly ineffective. He was supposed to be India's Saeed Ajmal in this series, and he's turned out to be India's Gareth Batty <laughs> or someone like that. But I think the bowling is actually the least of the concerns. If you look at the three disciplines, I think the bowling is probably in the best shape, which doesn't mean that it's in great shape. But I think the reason they lost this game was because the batting failed. Yes, England bowled well. But the pitch was so flat that they really shouldn't have got rolled over, especially after winning the toss. And I think the main reason why it's been so hard to win in India in recent times is because they've had such a strong batting lineup. That was why they went to number one in the world. Even when they were number one in the world, the bowling wasn't up to all that much. We they been they were just that. impossible to beat. Yeah, we've been saying that for you know, a few years now. Before every series, it's like, well, you know, they will just out they'll just score you and then score you to death. Yeah, they just put on so many runs that at some point they're going to win a game because because of the pressure that that creates. But they're just unbelievably difficult to beat because their batting is so strong. I mean, the last time England toured India in 2008, I think they had probably five of the ten best batsmen in the world at that time in their top six. Sevag, Gambir, Tendulkar, Dravid, Latchman. Now, I'm not sure they've got any of the top 15 or 20 batsmen in the world in their top six. Tendulkar, Gambir and Sevag used to be. Kohli and Pajara will be. But at the moment, I don't think there's anyone there that you'd say is genuinely world-class. Their fielding has been atrocious as well. Uh, England have been quite merciless in exploiting that. The running between the wickets in that Cook and Compton partnership was something to behold. They were sort of just pushing it directly to a fielder. And if it was Zahir Khan or Yuvraj Singh or someone like that, they'd just run and (laughs) know that they'd get in. It's actually been kind of embarrassing for a test side. You know, at this level, I'm not sure it's good enough. And, and it has been a problem for India for a really long time, the fielding. You'd expect Duncan Fletcher to have done something about that by now because that's always been his big thing. Maybe he doesn't have the authority that coaches of other sides around the world do have. Maybe it's some of those established players, though, you can't really coach in, in the field. I don't know. That kind of, the kind of athleticism and uh, willingness to to put your body on the line and also the, the sharpness maybe you need 
that needs coaching from from the very start. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe it's yeah that a lot of them are quite old now, and Tendulkar and Zaha here, etc. Their knees are creaking, but it might also be because they are such big stars that they don't feel they ought to be doing it. They don't feel that it's their job to be doing it. That they need to do it, um, and that's not really good enough. It's it's it might be another reason to think about dropping some of these star players whatever happens in Nagpur this has been an extremely disappointing series for India even if they win and make it 2-all 2-all would be an extremely bad result anything worse than that would be pretty seismic I think could this be maybe the wake-up call that they need as we say they could use this as an opportunity to drop some of those Galacticos. They need to. The, the, the point has to be reached. You know, so they have to make a choice at some point. So this is as good a time as any. There, there was a kind of uh, attempt to to sweep under the rug those consecutive whitewashes, and it looked like they were going to be able to do it. But a defeat at home by England can't be ignored. I don't think. I would expect that there will be big changes, even if it finishes two all. So England lead two one as we head to Nagpur for the denouement. <laughs> India, as we said, looked down and out. But as we all know. Momentum can turn on a sixpence. What's your feeling, though? Will England close it out? It would be an extraordinary achievement if they do. Will they? If they did, it would. Yeah, it would be fantastic and just set them up now for another assault at the top. Really, the the rest of the winter will be very enjoyable, I think, from their perspective. And then you know, a huge summer ahead as well. Uh, a very winnable summer at this point. What well, against the Aussies? You think? Uh, maybe. Can they do it? I don't know. I, I still feel like I still feel like going to this match is it's no more than 50-50 at this point because we were saying earlier you know, take Cook's runs out of the team a nonsense point but there's a, you know, he may well Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button right? For me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy that's just not who I am but Noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Or fail, and if he does, that could give India the kind of the kind of confidence and the spur to go on and win a Test match. Oh yeah, and get him cheaply in the first thing. So England aren't aren't you know before the series, we weren't convinced they could do it. It was an outside chance. So in a, in a one-off Test, you'd still say you'd still say India have got a very good chance. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, although England have been brilliant in these two games and look to be the stronger side, they're far from uh, unbeatable in these conditions. And as you say, if Cook does go early, not only will that give huge encouragement to India. But also, it might send a few ripples of panic around the England dressing room if he's out in the second over or the third over, you know. I'd put England favourites, but not big favourites by any means. Dhoni wants a turning track, and you can understand why. England have the better spinners and would therefore start as favourites on a turning track. But at least it would be a result wicket. If there's going to be a result, you know, you can't rule out an England batting collapse. So yeah, India have a really big chance to win in Nagpur. As I say, even if they do win, that's not a great result for India it would still be a very good result a draw for England but it would be very very disappointing at this point um, having played so well in Mumbai and Kolkata to not seal the deal but I, what I want from Ian Tone now is a prediction <laughs> gut feeling are they going to do it I'm, I'm going to stick with my original pre-series prediction of tools so I'm going to say an okay. India win yeah. India to the changes to have some impact and just a, a bit of a kick up the backside and yeah, an India win. All right, well, you can all blame Tony if that <laughs> does indeed come to pass. Around the world now. This is the part of the show where we talk about things that have been happening around the world. Now, Sri Lanka have arrived in Australia ahead of their three-match test series, which starts in Hobart on Friday. It's going to be Australia's first test match since the Ricky Ponting retirement. His replacement has been named. It's a recall for Philip Hughes, famously ineffective against England Philip Hughes 
Were you surprised to see him return to the Australian ranks or, or not surprised? He's batting Mitchell Johnson's knee in a way. <laughs> uh, I mean, he worked like he, he, when he first emerged, when he first came to the side, he did play really well. Uh, and going into that, that, that his first Ashes series, he was billed as the next, the next Aussie great. It didn't really happen for him, did it? And it uh, hasn't really happened for him since. Yeah, he had a poor Ashes series in England in 2009, was dropped, eventually came back into the side, played in that Ashes series at home against England and was eventually dropped. Came back into the side again. <laughs> His last test series uh, was a year ago against New Zealand where you might remember that he was out four times in that series for low scores and all four of his dismissals were exactly the same. Edge to the slips, caught Guptill, bold Chris Martin. He was having, you'll like this time, he had more problems with Chris Martin than Liam Gallagher. What problems has Liam had? Are you aware of the uh, the feud between Oasis and Coldplay? No. Are you aware of Should that I from be? like 2003? I, I mean, don't really remember because it. Because of like this music from 2003 being in my <laughs> it's head. It's kind of triggered time. all these. I think these Liam memories. Gallagher called Chris Martin a geography teacher. Oh, really? And said he said it's good mu- subject geography. Music for bedwetters or something. Oh, so, I do. I do recall that kind yeah, of that, so there was, that chat. There was, a, there was a big like a big feud about ten years ago. <laughs> 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 so I'm sure our listeners remember that well. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, Phil Hughes had his problems there but he's been brought back on the strength of some good domestic form he's going to bat at number three Shane Watson moves to number four do you think Michael Clark should be batting higher I mean for me maybe this would have been a good moment for Clark to go to three or do you think don't move someone who's performing so well where they are don't jeopardize that form that he's in I would say move. I would. I would have moved him up uh, I mean he's in astonishing form how many innings how many runs did he get against South Africa a millions, lot. two double centuries. Yeah, yeah. just ludicrous numbers of runs. Greedy, if anything. And yeah, I, I think you want to get him in as early as possible. I mean, you could argue it'd be too big a burden, captaincy and batting at three. But then Alistair Cook is is captain and opening. I think it's you know it's arguably his responsibility to bat at least one place higher, if, if not three, then at four. Um, because at the moment he's at five, Hussey's at six. Obviously, Australia's two most experienced and best batsmen at this point. That top four does have quite a fragile look about it, although they're all capable of scoring runs. Warner, Cowan, Hughes, Watson, any side coming up against that will feel, yeah, we can get in amongst them here. And it could be that the likes of Clark and Hussey get a bit stranded. So, yeah, I, I, I just think it would have a yeah. much better look to it if Clark was at three, well, maybe Hussey at five. Clark, Hussey and Watson are uh, experienced, good batsmen. And, you, yeah, you, you partnerships between those, those three... Uh, are going to be the most productive and most fruitful and getting them batting at the same time is maybe a good idea but then from the other side you know you probably want Phil Hughes batting with someone decent at the other end you probably don't want Phil Hughes batting at all but (laughs) but if he has to then yeah it'd be good to have um, a solid partner there with him a lot of people when they sort of first get into cricket they find it slightly baffling this obsession with the different places in the batting order and think that there's a bit too much emphasis placed on the difference between three four five you know ultimately they're all going to bat at some point but they are all subtly different roles you know if Clark's coming in at 60 for three all the time that's a very different job that he has to do than if he's coming in 50 for one or um, even at 20 for one he, he has to do things very differently I think this would have been the moment for him to move up what do you reckon about Sri Lanka things seem to be going in the right direction for them after a difficult year last year they drew with England at home which was quite a good result beat Pakistan at home and were 1-0 up against New Zealand and it was, you know, it seemed like Sri Lanka were um, getting stronger and stronger but then they lost in Colombo to New Zealand which is a pretty disastrous result really. They arrive in Australia, not many people expecting them to win this series but there are some world-class players in that side. Obviously I'm talking about Sangakkara, Mahela Jawardner. Have they got a similar problem to India though maybe? Not so much in terms of the fielding but you know, these ageing Galacticos. Jawardner said that, he, that he's going to review his future after this series. At some point, these guys are going to have to be replaced. From Sri Lanka's point of view, maybe hoping that they go on a bit longer. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I understand the reluctance, uh, the reluctance to make that decision, uh, and and with the Indian situation as well. But with every great kind of every great player comes their shadow, which uh, is big in those players' cases. Not that they're fat or tall or anything, but you know that's the bitter after kind of aftertaste that they're going to leave in many ways in the team. So yeah, I, yeah, I think plod on for the time being well there are two differences in Sri Lanka's case firstly is that Sangakkara and Jaya Warden are still scoring a lot of runs I mean Sangakkara 
until Michael Clark displaced him very recently, was was the number one ranked batsman in tests. Um, Jai Wooden has scored a lot of runs over the last year or so. So there's no urgency to get them out of the team. Uh, and also, in India, you feel that there's always going to be more batsmen coming through because... It's, it's about a thousand times bigger. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's at least a thousand times bigger. In India, there's always more batsmen coming off the conveyor belt, whereas it's maybe not the case that you're going to automatically find replacements for the likes of Sangakkara and Jai Wooden in Sri Lanka. So from their perspective, they'll be hoping that they stick around for a while longer and that they uh, produce some big performances in this series. I think one big difference between the sides is that Sri Lanka have much the better spinner. I quite like Nathan Lyon. I think he's a very useful test bowler. But Rangana Herath has been world class this year. Not long ago that we were saying Herath was the kind of the, the bowler you targeted. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I've always thought of him as a decent bowler, but this year he's been phenomenal. Coming to his own. So Australia probably will try not to prepare pitches that spin big, but you feel that Herath is going to take wickets. And if Sangakkara and Jaiwarna do have good series, they definitely have a chance. But at home, having played reasonably well against South Africa, Australia certainly start as favourites. What's your prediction, though? Who do you reckon is going to triumph in this one? We've got three games, Hobart, yeah. Melbourne and Sydney. It's a, it's a tough one, this. It is a tough one. I like the momentum that Australia are carrying into it. Do I like it enough, though, to, to give them the edge? Probably not. I'm going to say one all. One all, wow. I'm going, say? I'm going for the Aussies to, to edge it to go 2-1. But I think it could well be quite a compelling series. Yeah, and no, I think it's going to be a very entertaining series. You know, Australia, the Australian side at the moment is quite watchable, I think. There are some fresh faces in there and some quite exciting players, uh, maybe more so than a, <clears throat> a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's, it's an enticing prospect. Sri Lanka are very watchable. It's wall-to-wall, well. And, well, of course, Sri Lanka. And it's, it's wall-to-wall cricket now, isn't it, for the next five, six days? <laughs> it's wall-to-wall cricket all the time, <laughs> really. The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. I've got a couple of side notes here for you, Tony. This one comes from a website called www.crickinfo.com. Surrey find their X Factor. X Factor, of course, is a popular programme in the United Kingdom. This this is a, a reference to that. Known for their swagger, Surrey have only added to their reputation as the most glamorous of counties by signing Dermot O'Leary, the radio host and television presenter. It is well documented that Surrey are in the market for a fourth choice wicketkeeper, but 5 foot 8 O'Leary, whose previous major <laughs> Why do they tell us his height? <laughs> I don't understand. Ha- yeah, I don't know. That's really bizarre. I'd like it if all <laughs> newspaper articles did that. Just told you the height of the people they they were talking about. That's weird. Anyway, 5'8 O'Leary, whose previous major appearance at the Oval was a chat on Test Match Special, won't be donning the gloves, but heading up a new media group to improve the county's work in the local community and their charity operations. O'Leary will also use his television glitz to raise the club's profile within London's media outlets. Quote, I am really excited to be getting involved at this fantastic club and hope we can really make a difference over the next few years. O'Leary said. I am a huge sports fan and see the Oval as one of the leading venues in London and beyond. Although it regularly delivers world-class matches on an international stage, I am excited by its further potential and look forward to playing a part in its future development. Surrey are yet to deny that a leg of the X Factor live tour will be staged in Kennington and that Stacey Solomon, former X Factor finalist, winner of the 10th series of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, an Essex fan, is to be employed as a guest tour guide. Oh, God. Also, I can imagine Dermot Leary saying, you know, walking past the Oval, a picture of the Oval, and just thinking, God, this is world class, isn't it, this venue? It really must be one of the leading venues uh, you know, in the UK, in London and beyond. In London and beyond. Yeah. This is a really weirdly written article, because not only do they tell us his height, but also the last paragraph. Surrey are yet to deny that a leg of the X Factor Life Tour will be staged in <laughs> Kennington, because that implies that this reporter has just fired off an email with that written down. And he just hasn't heard back from him. Yeah. Because <laughs> you could write, uh, you could include that in every they article yet, about yeah. anything. Send an email and then immediately publish an article and say, well, they're yet to deny it. <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting one. Are you an X Factor fan? No, not at no. all. No, I'm not either, really. Getting a bit tired. The format's getting tired. Yeah. They never did that X Factor style bowling show, did they? Yeah, this was uh, in Australia, wasn't it? They were talking about doing like a spin bowling talent show this was to try and find Shane Warne's replacement uh, I like the idea of it it's great but the practicalities of making that kind of show like what would they do each week it's like 
It's come up and bowl a few balls. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's good. I love the great idea. Great shape, yeah, great float. Yeah. Uh, you're really, you're really ragging that ball. I just love the idea of like three judges there. You know, you've got Shane Warren. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's very enthusiastic the whole time. Yeah. I loved it. You got tweak, you got flight, you got spin. Yeah, I thought it was great, fantastic. And it cuts across to Ashley Giles, who's the Simon Cowell of the piece. And he's like, it was embarrassing. You're an embarrassment to your nation. Also, what I liked about that is that it was like it was something that Cricket Australia at least had some involvement in. Nathan Horitz was in the team at the time, so what must he have thought about that? It's like, we're so desperate for someone to replace Warney that we're going to set up this spin-bowling talent show. <laughs> like, I wish they'd made it. I love the thought of like you know, live auditions in front of a crowd. Just someone comes out, bowls a couple of deliveries, gets booed off, just like, laughed off. I could just come out and bowl a few off-breaks at London Correspondent Gordon McRae, get one back through the gate. You know? I think I, I, think I yeah, had potential. You probably wouldn't have been able to um, win that show, though, because you're not Australian. No, that's true. Uh, well, speaking of Australian spinners, that leads us neatly on. What about this for a link, Tone? I've kind of ruined the uh, the seamlessness of it by drawing attention to it. But that leads us neatly on to this article from uh, Mail Online. I could have gone literally anywhere for this, but I've ended up at Mail Online. Popular website, Mail Online. Well, I'm just on Mail Online most of the day anyway, so, you know... You feel, de- I mean, I feel like I need a shower after I've read Mel Online, but yeah, I still return to it. It's, it is a ludicrous, ludicrous thing, really. It's hilarious as well. You walk around the office at how many people pull up Mel Online, scroll up and down quickly, and then flick back. It's like, that's so true, actually. If I walk past colleagues' computers, they've all got, they've either got Mail Online open or there's that little box at the bottom <laughs> and you can see that it says Mail Online and. What what are some of the stories on Mail Online today? It is, I mean, it is the most popular news website in the world, isn't Which it? Which is, I mean... Scary. Ex- astonishing and incredibly depressing in equal measure. Revealed Rihanna's private collection of racy holiday snaps from Mediterranean party crews. Christopher Maloney's future on the X Factor tour in doubt amid furore over foul-mouthed pirate. over oval selection as venue. <laughs> anyway, this article is entitled Warning, I'm Fit for Ashes. Shane, 43, is in the shape of his life and ready to save Australia. Just when it seemed we could bid an emotional farewell to the last of Australia's true greats with Ricky Ponting's tearful retirement, up pops Shane Warne to flex his spinning finger and tease us all over a possible Ashes comeback. Warne chose the week of his latest return to action in the Australian Big Bash 2020 competition with the Melbourne Stars to say that he absolutely had no doubt he could bowl at test level again. (laughs) To say stars again? Stars. <laughs> the ball, it seems, is in his close friend Michael Clark's court and fizzing like a classic worn leg break. Can he really be serious? Well, perhaps the greatest bowler of them all has talked of comebacks before, but there has always been more than a hint of publicity stunt about it. Now, in the aftermath of Australia's crushing defeat by South Africa in Perth, he again chose to provide a glimmer of hope to a slightly desperate nation. If the Australian captain gives him a call, Warren insists he will respond. If your best friend says, mate, I want you to seriously consider making a commitment to Australian cricket by coming out of retirement, that's a different scenario, especially with back-to-back Ashes series coming up next year. It could be a 12-month thing where you take three spinners with you and say, righto, work with these spinners and see how you go. That's a different kettle of fish. Was this written before his appearance in the Big Bash League? I, I believe it was, yeah. That would have that's immediately put an end to any... Well, what did he go for? About thirty-five in two overs. Absolutely killed, didn't he? (laughs) And he looked. I mean, he looked just lost in the field as well. But he goes on to say about how you know he's sure that he, you know, he he doesn't think there's any problem with his bowling. That he could definitely come in and bowl. He's just got to sort out his commitments with like sponsorship (laughs) and that kind of stuff, and like his his poker commitments and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, if I could fit it in, I could play an (laughs) Ashes series. Um, But yeah, as you say, he got tonked around a bit. I really like one. He's a legend. I, I. I do feel like it would cheapen, cheapen the ashes somewhat though to have him back. From an England perspective, get him in the team. Because, uh, yeah. It would be an extraordinary thing if he came back. But it's six years since he last played Test cricket. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care it's if you're Shane Warne. You really can't walk back into Test cricket after a six-year absence and expect to be as good. And as you say, looking at him in the Big Bash, and not just in that one game, in, in recent IPLs as well, he's not been that good a bowler. So yeah, as you say, as an England fan, yeah. get him in the team. Much like the British economy, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been going downhill for some time. 
It's probably the right moment, therefore, to bring it to an end. So much comedy to be made out of the disastrous economic news, isn't there, Tone? It's just everyone's laughing. I watched the autumn statement and I thought, brilliant. <laughs> Look, this is Great material. Put this show. on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Have you enjoyed this one, Tone? Oh, I've had a good one, you know, as ever. Cheers for, cheers for helping out. <laughs> that's quite, quite alright uh, yeah it's been fun Just the, you know, it, it's all downhill now from here isn't it to Christmas uh, we'll be back with a couple of episodes over the Christmas period well, we've got our Christmas special next week uh, and then our review of the year will be the week after that I'm slightly dreading how long your intro and kind of recap of the year will be in the review of the year. Uh, well, I've already started planning it. I'm going to go through every test match. Just ball by ball. Kind give of give a little recap. <laughs> a little recap on that Sri Lanka-Pakistan series that everyone forgot as it was happening. <laughs> it's Sports Personality of the Year on Sunday, Tone. BBC Sports Personality of the Year. If you're not in Britain, you might not be aware. That's a very big deal over here, isn't it? Yeah, no cricketers in it this year. Well, no, but what do you reckon the odds are on Alistair Cook winning next year? Do you reckon that would be a, a decent bet to make at this point? There are two Ashes series in 2013. If England win them both, you'd imagine Cook's going to score a lot of runs and be the captain. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a pretty good... You know, there's no Olympics next year. Yeah, good bet. Get your money down now. Of course, if England lose both those series, he probably won't win. <laughs> probably won't even figure. But, uh, but yeah, I reckon, you know, might be a, a decent little bet at this point. Who would you give it to this year? 12 nominees are they all I'd Olympians say, no, there's no one. only one only Golf McElroy thing. yeah I'd, I'd give it to Bradley Wiggins I think would you it is difficult it's almost impossible but Wiggins Murray Farah I think that will be the top three I team. mean there's some it's really difficult to overlook can't really separate them um a lot of the names on that list. There's people not on the list like Laura Trott, who in any other Olympic year, almost two gold medals, would have probably won. Yeah, the top three is, has got to be in some order. Wiggins, Murray, Farah. Obviously, Wiggins and Ennis, Murray. So, uh, you, know, you, have, you can have three guys. Uh, and it would be hard to leave Ennis out of a top three. Well, that's true. And also, it was an amazing Olympics for women. So you'd think, really, it would be great if a woman could win. So either, yeah, yeah Ennis or maybe Kath Granger from the rowing. But Wiggins and Murray won Olympic gold and also, you know, achieved something extraordinary in their, own, in their own sport. Wiggins, first British winner of the Tour de France, Murray, first British Grand Slam winner in essentially anyone's lifetime. Whoever doesn't win out of those two will probably be gutted. But me personally, yeah. I'd actually give it to Mo Farah just because, I mean, firstly, it's as unprecedented for a, a, a British athlete to win a long-distance race like that, and he won two. And also just those two yeah. races were probably the, the greatest sporting moments of this or more or less any other year. I've, I can't remember ever being as excited watching no. sport as I was cheering Mo Farah around the last lap. I was losing the plot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Although I think Wiggins's gold in the Olympics was equally thrilling. I don't know because it was never it was, great, it was never in doubt. But it was very it, it was such a long it was you know it was over it took him like forty minutes it, to do it or something. It is I like the sports personality here and uh, it's a great thing. But the one thing that does get on my nerves is like anything happens in the sporting year and immediately someone will say that's got to put him you know that's got to put him up there for sports personality. <laughs> yeah. It's just as like if it's as a, if a bigger deal. Yeah, exactly. Than, as if yeah. everything that's happened is just qualification <laughs> for sports personality. That's it's a good a point. Stupid. It also really annoys me that people misunderstand the use of the word personality. Because I've <laughs> yeah. seen people like, we well, can't give that. it to Murray. He's got no personality. I hate that so much. <laughs> that's not what it means. And yes, Murray has no personality, but yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> How can you not give it to Andy Murray, I guess? Because not only did he win the US Open and Olympic gold, but he also won Olympic silver and got to a Wimbledon final. Again, any other year, that's a cakewalk yeah. for him. But yeah, Mo Farah for me, I reckon. But that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with our Christmas special. In the meantime, I'm going to give you a list of things that you can do if you want to get more involved in the World Cricket Show. We get a lot of emails from people saying, you know, you guys have changed my life. I know there's no way I'll ever be able to properly repay you, but is there anything I can do? And the answer to that is yes. You can leave us a review on iTunes. We do massively appreciate all of those. Thanks so much to everyone who's done that recently. It really is a big help. Have a look at our website as well, www.cricketshow.net. You can buy T-shirts there, which is a perfect stocking filler for Christmas. Buy a World Cricket Show T-shirt. And also, this week, uh, we launched an episode player on the website. Imagine this, right? You can listen to our podcast on our podcast website, 
It's it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricket show. The World Cricket Show advent calendar continues to blow minds. <laughs> um, I'm posting a YouTube video every day between December 1st and Christmas Eve, just about cricket and that, uh, which is all very exciting. How many have you got? In a kind of, are, you, are you a few days ahead? No, I've, I've lit- I'm panicking because <laughs> I've got no more. So every day I have to scan YouTube for new ones. But no, I thought like, oh, I'll be fine because I thought of like the first four. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, I'll be all right. Uh, and then didn't think beyond that. And yeah, it's a bit off more than I can chew, Tane. But yeah, no, have a look at that. Facebook.com slash Cricket Show. Check us out on Twitter as well. You can tweet all over us at Cricket Show. That's me at Tony Cover is Tony, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. I will look to accelerate my tweeting rate as the Christmas period develops. Don't forget that our Christmas single comes out this week. It's a, it's a, re, a re-recording of It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. I think the title will be It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Brackets, an England series win. Close brackets. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's quite emotional, actually. It's quite moving. It's a real tearjerker, um, even more so than that. John Lewis <laughs> that people can't stop talking about. Um, and yeah, next week it's our Christmas special. You excited about that, Tone? Uh, yeah. Shall we give a taste of some of the big names that are going to be in here with us? Or do you want to keep it under wraps? Well, what kind of names have you got? Ian McKellen, Alan Rickman, Andy Murray, Hugh Grant, Alan Hansen, Ross Kemp, Christopher Lee, Kermit the Frog, Murray from Flight of the Concords. Felix Baumgartner. I mean, coincidentally, they're all people that I can do at least a semi-passable impression <laughs> of. Uh, but that is just a coincidence. It'll be exciting. I don't know how we're going to get them all in here. <laughs> we'll have to do them one by one. Yeah, just like a five-minute interview with each one. So, Kermit, what do you? Uh, what's your biggest cricketing memory? Well, uh, Miss Piggy. Anyway, stay in school, everybody, for God's sake, and we will see you next week. Merry Christmas and that. Yeah, Bye-bye. happy Christmas. See, see for you now. Spe- it's going to be special. To smell your fear I went to a roller disco not a few weeks ago, uh, which is my first kind of first time on, I don't know what you call it, on kind of skate-based shoes for uh, for a little while. And it's put me off ice skating, to be honest. I won't be giving that one a go. No? I, I, I think you're a regular Torval and Dean, too. Both of them. <laughs> both of them. Yeah, yeah, just at different times. Combined just the, slightly. the best attributes of both. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think their number one moment was Phelps. Oh. Yeah. It was good. It was good. It wasn't British, so I'm not no, interested. So I don't really care. Just trying to do some really, like, you know, important work. And yeah. <laughs> just like, why are you going to have to make things so complicated? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Hi there, and welcome to the Switch It podcast. On- <laughs> I'm just listening to the Switch It. <laughs> Sorry, he busted me there. You just, <laughs> just listening to Switch It. Just, that was meant to be going to one ear, just so I could, you know. Just so I can parrot that back. <laughs> just parrot back the points. <laughs> but the, uh, the headphones aren't plugged in there. Yeah, so just let me just get those in. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.